everybody. It's great to see you this morning. Finish up with your donuts. If you've got a Bible, turn with me to the book of Ruth. And if you were here last week, we started with an overview of the book of Ruth and looked at the three main characters that you find in Ruth, Naomi the widow, Ruth the Moabite, and Boaz the farmer. And this week, I want us to look at three of the themes that emerge from this short book, the stranger, the desperate, and also the redeemed. And even if we may not see ourselves reflected in the characters from this story itself, we may resonate with some of these three themes that emerge from this book. If you remember the story from last week, Elimelech and his wife Naomi, along with their two sons, Mavlon and Kilian, leave Bethlehem because famine has struck. And in order to find food, they cross the border and settle in a land called Moab, a neighboring territory that was the enemy of Israel. The two sons got married, but tragedy is never far from this door. Not long after Elimelech dies, followed by both of his sons, and we're left with three widows, Naomi, Naomi, Orpah, and Ruth. In her grief and desperation, Naomi decides to return home to Judah, and Ruth chooses to go along with her. Poor and alone in a strange country, Ruth gleans for food from Boaz's fields. And through a few twists and turns, she ends up marrying him. Now, Ruth is one of those Bible stories that's often seen as the romantic story of this young, beautiful woman who falls on hard times, but then meets a good man who rescues her, and they fall in love, get married, and have a child. But hopefully, as we look and see, this story is so, so, so much more than that. Because as we engage with the story and with the lives of these characters, over other profound things begin to reveal themselves. Things like the strength and importance of relationships between women, the trauma of surviving one's children, the pain of childlessness, the challenges of marriage and patriarchy. But one of the many features of this story is that there are these crossings of borders. And it is that which raises an invitation to us all to reflect on how we welcome the stranger. Ruth 1, 1 to 2. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. And then in 1, 2, 2, so Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. 
Ruth crosses the border from her home country of Moab into Judah and becomes a stranger and an outsider. And importantly, becomes a stranger in the land with a long history of hatred towards the place of her birth, Moab. But not only is Ruth an ethnic stranger, she is also a woman in a man's world, a foreigner in a country that doesn't like her kind. And on top of all that, Ruth is childless in a society that requires sons. She's a widow in a family-based culture and is poor in a community that gave her no real provision. Ruth is therefore utterly, utterly vulnerable. And a, st and a stranger, an outsider, the other, on so many levels. And there's something in the telling of this story that is inviting us to challenge the ways in which we move towards or away from the other. The stranger in our midst, the person we don't quite get, the one who is different to us for whatever reason. In essence, it's about how we handle difference. And is difference something we move towards and are curious about as we listen to other people's stories and try to see the world through their eyes? Or is difference something we move away from? And for Ruth, amongst all these other differences that made her an outsider, a stranger, the other, most importantly, perhaps, was the fact that she was a Moabite. Now, Judah and Moab were neighboring territories, but there was a lot of historical bad blood between them. And throughout these four chapters, Ruth is identified and named over and over again as Ruth the Moabite. Ruth 1.22. So Naomi returned from Moab accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. Ruth 2.2. And Ruth the Moabite sat, said to Naomi, Ruth 2.6, she is the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. Ruth 2.21, then Ruth the Moabite said. Ruth 4.5, then Boaz said, on the day you buy the land from Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with this property. Ruth 4.10, I have also required, acquired Ruth the Moabite. Why is it that Ruth needs to be identified by others as being a Moabite? Why is this such a big deal? Well, the Moabites, and especially the Moabite women, had a very bad reputation in Israel. Neither Israel nor Moab seemed to get on terribly well, but stories were told in Israel of how the women of Moab were promiscuous and lacked any kind of moral compass. Even being a near a Moabite woman was said to be contaminate you in some way, and she would cause you to stumble in a big way. Such was the, uh, their allure. These women are seen as dangerous, overly sexual, and a threat to the very fabric of a male-dominant society. Deuteronomy 22.3 makes it pretty clear. No Ammonite or Moabite or any of their descendants may enter the assembly of the Lord, not even in the 10th generation. Do not seek a treaty or friendship with them, 
as long as you live. And this is a familiar story to us today as it was back then. It's the age old, because of what your people did to our people, back in some time when none of us can remember who started what and why, we're going to hold this thing against you to this very day. And we do this to other people all the time, other nations, other races, other people groups, all for what seems like a very good reason that probably none of us can actually remember. You only need to watch the news or listen to the heated arguments people have around who should be included and who should be excluded to see what was happening to Ruth. It's happening to people all around us all the time. Prejudice, racism, discrimination, sexism. And any of the number of isms are all alive and well. And so many times, as was the case with Ruth the Moabite, they're based on old assumptions, on old prejudices that no one can really remember why or how they came about in the first place. But undoing such deeply rooted positions passed down from generations or embedded through our education or through our privilege can be a long and arduous process. And one that, as we'll hopefully come to see, only comes about in and through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. But there is something about this book that gives us great hope that the treatment of the stranger, the other, in the case of a Moabite widow, can actually be overcome by a whole new story, a whole new narrative. There's something about this little book that recognizes the new stories, new narratives, new ways of being are always, always, always possible. It just takes a little bit of humility to pause and to stop long enough to see the other, not as someone to be feared, not as someone to be squashed, but as made in the image of God, and therefore to be held in high regard and to be treated with the utmost honor the utmost care, the utmost respect, and the utmost love. The Benedictines have a practice whereby they greet one another, I love this, with a deep bow. And it's intended as an acknowledgement of humility, but also that the humanity of the other person is the one in whom the image of God dwells, dwells. The bow also means that they are forced to turn their heads to the ground, which reminds them that the person they now welcome, this other stands alongside them on exactly the same piece of earth. 
It's this kind of humility and generosity. This is a pathway out of prejudice, prejudice and discrimination. And that leads instead to new possibilities and new relationships as we move towards and not away from the other in our midst. You see, there's so much going on in this little book. It's presenting us with the questions of how are we protecting the vulnerable? Particularly those who are perhaps culturally and socially marginal or marginal in our communities and contexts or even in our churches. In Ruth, we see those who are forced to migrate to another country, in this case because of poverty and famine. But along with it comes an encouragement and an invitation to us as a community to engage with the questions of what does it mean to belong? To belong. In their book, Podrego Tuma and Glenn Jordan write, the book of Ruthden reminds us that there will always be those driven back by the noise, pinned down by the tumult, who will seek mediating voices to speak to them words of comfort and inclusion and assure them that they're not being forgotten. They've not been forgotten. Which brings us to, onto a second thought that there's a thread running through Ruth, which kind of acts like a lifeline to those who are desperate. Have you ever thought about what you would do of de out of desperation? One of the strong themes that comes from the Ruth is that less of a kind of a guidebook as to what to do in these kinds of situations. It's much more of a record of a story of what people actually do when faced with incredibly desperate situations with very, very limited resources and means. And Ruth isn't the only example of a woman in the Bible being forced to resort to incredibly desperate measures when faced with extremely desperate situation. In Genesis 16, Hagar and Sarah don't have a straightforward relationship at all, and Hagar, in utter desperation, finds herself being shunned and abandoned and praying desperate prayers to the God of those who were, in essence, abusing her. In Genesis 38, Tamar, the daughter-in-law of Judah, couldn't possibly have ever imagined herself to be so desperate that she would need to pretend to work as a prostitute in order to trick her father-in-law just into fulfilling what was his legal obligation. In Joshua, Rahab is so desperate that she has to turn away from her community to secure safety from destruction for herself and her family. And there are others. None of these women are seemingly saved from their desperation by divine intervention. But what seems to keep them going is their own common sense, wit, fortitude, and courage. 
What we see through their stories and through Ruth's story are those whose circumstances reflected how foreigners, women, widows, orphans were just seen as irrelevant and left to their own devices. And the Bible is both brilliant. The Bible is both brilliant but brutal. It's in its description of how these people, most often women, navigate their way through the very many obstacles they face. All these kinds of challenging stories from the Bible are not really the stuff of children's cartoons. These are bloody and bitter stories of survival. And Ruth is no different. Given the desperation of her circumstances, Ruth and Naomi concoct a plan whereby Ruth will make herself known to Boaz. And Boaz, as we saw last week, was the family's kinsman redeemer. And therefore, the one possible way in which the fortunes of these desperate women might possibly be changed. As we see in Ruth 3, Naomi tells Ruth to get herself ready, put on her best clothes and wait until all the men have finished drinking before making herself known to Boaz, which she does on the threshing room floor. Now the Bible doesn't entirely spell out what probably happened between Ruth and Boaz that night, but we can use our imaginations to reasonably fill in the blanks. Whatever did or didn't happen on the threshing floor that night is probably not really the point. What's perhaps more important to remember is that for these women, these are incredibly desperate times. Their whole lives and their livelihoods are at stake. In order to have any chance of survival, one of them at least needs to be married. In Ruth 3.1, Naomi says to Ruth, my daughter, I must find a home for you where you will be well provided for. Other translations put this as where you will be secure and safe. And so what they're doing is they're saving each other. The friendship. The fact that Naomi and Ruth have to go to the lengths they have to go to to ensure that they are safe and are protected and cared for and have basic provisions like food and a roof over their heads shouldn't, shouldn't make us question the morals of their actions. Rather, it should cause us to question the culture and the society and the laws that needed to be changed. The scandal in this story isn't around what Ruth did or didn't do on the threshing floor with Boaz. The scandal here is the way women and widows and strangers and foreigners were forced into desperate and dire situations, all because they were not properly, properly valued, all because they were not properly regarded by those who held all the power. Ruth and Naomi are two women facing incredible challenges who have to find ways to survive in the world of men. And as they do so, they demonstrate incredible resilience, fortitude, and courage. And again, they serve as a reminder to all of us today who hold any kind of power. 
whether by virtue of our gender or our position in society or our wealth or our roles in the workplace or in the community, to ensure that we are using and wielding our influence and our power to make sure that Naomi's and Ruth's around us are not being forced into desperate actions because of their desperate circumstances. But instead, we are advocating on their behalf to bring about change and transformation and empowering and equipping them to be all that God has called them and made them to be. And it's this change and transformation that leads me to my final thought. Ruth is a story that speaks of hunger, bereavement, loneliness, and hard work in a struggle to survive. But we also get a glimpse into these simple human kindnesses that are transformational in that they result in securing a safe place for those who are displaced. And what's interesting is that these generous, generous acts are also result in their transformation of the lives of those who did the kindness in the first place. Ruth's kindness in expressing her loyalty to Naomi finds belonging and family as a result. Boaz, the wealthy farmer who opens his fields and his home to a stranger, finds a wife and then a child and a permanent place in history of his people. Naomi's kindness to Ruth and Orpah leads her to place of safety and security, both of which transforms her earlier bitterness. In fact, the whole community that all these people are a part of, and indeed all of us, have also been transformed by this story, given that Jesus is a direct descendant of Ruth. And this kindness that results in transformation is a key idea in the book of Ruth. In the book of Ruth, we see the idea of the kingsman redeemer being played out before our eyes. Now, a kingsman redeemer was someone who redeemed that which was lost. This could be the other person's property, their freedom, or even their name. In short, the kingsman was a rescuer and a restorer. And as we know, Naomi and Ruth are widows with no sons, and there were a few things worse in those days than being in this situation. To be in this position meant loss of income and support, loss of possessions, and ultimately loss of property. In short, they were desperate and destitute. The only hope they had was for someone to see their plight and be willing to pay the price of redemption, which would prevent them from losing everything. Which is where Boaz comes in. And there were four requirements that had to be met to be a kingsman redeemer. The first, you had to be related. The only way you could be a kingsman redeemer was that if you had to be of the same family, there had to be the same relational tie. Two, you had to be willing. In the Ruth, Ruth and Boaz story, the person who was the next redeemer in line wasn't willing to follow through with it. 
And if the person wasn't willing, they couldn't be forced to do it. Being willing is at the heart of what a kingsman redeemer is. Three, you had to be able to redeem. Being willing wasn't enough to be a kingsman redeemer. You actually had to be able to follow through with it. If you, have, if you didn't have the financial means to make the redemption, then you couldn't be the redeemer. It didn't matter how good your intentions were. For you had to pay the price in full. There was no such thing as a partial redemption. Unless everything was paid in full, there could be no redemption. It was an all or nothing proposition. And as we round off our look at this amazing book, we begin to see the parallels between Ruth's situation and our very own. Spiritually, we've all been just like Naomi and Ruth, desperate and destitute. We had no hope and we're all lost in our battle against sin and death, just like Ruth and Naomi. We all need someone who can step in and become our redeemer. Enter Jesus. One Jesus becomes like us. Because the Redeemer had to be related, Jesus had to become like us. If Jesus didn't take on our humanity, there would have been no way of redemption for us. John 1.14 says, The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus became just like you and me, just so that he could redeem us. Jesus, number two, Jesus was willing to do it. In Philippians, we see how willing Jesus was to become our Redeemer, all of our Redeemer. Philippians 2, 5 to, 5 to 8. Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus sacrificed his life of his own free will. He was willing to be obedient all the way to the end. Three, Jesus was able to redeem. As we said a moment ago, being willing means nothing if you don't have the ability to redeem. Thankfully for us, this was not the case. The death and the resurrection of Jesus was everything that was needed to bring about our redemption. Romans 5.19, For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous for Jesus paid the complete price for our sin. The beautiful thing about our redemption is that it is complete. Christ is sufficient 
Nothing else is needed. No one else is needed. It is all about him. When we think about the Kingsman Redeemer is, it's all about that which was lost being found. Naomi and Ruth were at a loss and Boaz steps in. You and I were at a loss, but Jesus stepped in. Jesus restores what all that was lost and gave us a new identity in Christ. He has paid the price for the redemption once and for all. It is Jesus. It is Jesus. It is Jesus who is our true kingsman redeemer.